0: In 2022, Weirhead Scotland created the first ever Riser Festival as commissioned by Aberdeen Performing Arts. Hosted across multiple venues in Aberdeen, it was a weekend of performances, talks, workshops and community spaces celebrating black and people of colour creatives from the north east and across Scotland. As part of the festival, Weirhead Scotland created and took part in a host of panels exploring different subjects. Those panels were recorded and in the lead up to this year's festival, we wanted to look back at those conversations and listen to them in a bit more detail, and explore them one year on. How have things changed since those conversations? Have they even changed? And what do we still need to change? Welcome to Rise Up Reflections, with me, Ike Hedlum. So we're on to our second episode already, looking at more of our faces in decision-making spaces. And I explored some of the themes that stem from this in the first episode with Brianna Pagado. In this episode, you'll hear from myself, cultural producer Tamila Fuloronso, who is based between Scotland and Brussels, and independent consultant and campaigner Talat Yacoub. Talat also co-founded the Women's 50-50 and Pastor Mike, which is a list of women of colour experts in Scotland. We join the conversation as Tumila has posed the question, what does your own face look like as a decision maker, and what does it mean to be in a decision-making space? For me, it's actually uh, it's about having the time and that space to kind of nurture and grow something that's really important to you. But it's also, I guess, coming back to having conversations with people in the community. It's that kind of financial element as well. Not being in charge of actually how you can financially grow like your organisation. You're very much dependent of going to like other people for it, which is probably like predominantly like white male led kind of like institute like um funding like um, institutions how do i kind of like navigate that as well but the importance is actually kind of this starting from like myself being like reliant on people within the community who look like me as well to kind of get like that kind of thing started and leading to me to kind of possibly be like um a decision maker in, in a small way Within my kind of small bubble of like the kind of community, but it's a lot of hard graft, time, and work to kind of get there as well. But I kind of cusping the kind of between the kind of two kind of space or two mindsets of, okay, I'm really passionate about what I do, but I kind of feel a bit like begrudging that I have to go and I go to someone and say, oh, please help me in that kind of financial thing.
1: Yeah, it's that like, please help me. And it's also then that kind of having to prove why you should help me. Yeah. The sometimes feels like it takes away some of your like autonomy in a sense. Yeah, so the work that I do is about primarily women of color's representation, both in politics and, and media. For me, it, it means being in that space, but being your authentic self. So there are some faces in some spaces in politics that I don't resonate with. They may have things in common with me, but they're wrong. So it is about like a genuine representation of us. Because what happens, and I find particularly in media and politics, there's two or three faces. I'm not interested in that. We're not a homogenous group. Within us, the differences within our experiences of racism because of our race, there's differences. And within that race, there's differences of opinion and political opinion and experiences and background. So it is about more of us there and a genuine representation of all the things that we are. And the second thing is being there without doing the extra unpaid labour. So there's a lot of work that we have to do when we get into that space. And and I've had the privilege of being in some of those decision-making spaces. But I'm doing a lot of unpaid graft about the toxic nature of those spaces or the fact that they're still exclusionary even if you get there. We want to be in those spaces, sure, but those spaces have to fundamentally change for us to be there fully. Coming back to that that point about these cha- these spaces need to change, right? Whose job is that? Whose responsibility is that? Who should take that on? Or how do we take that on? Well, for me, it's the people who already have the power. If you are in a position of power, and, and it's the default setting in society that you will have the power. So, for example, university educa- educated, middle class, upper class, white male, able-bodied, straight. If you're going to have those spaces of power, it is up to you to also do some of the work, the educating of yourself, the sharing of the platform and the holding yourself to account and allowing others to hold you to account. That is definitely the work, but it happens in partnership with those who are underrepresented so that we're able to say, well, this is what that looks like. It's the genuine work of allyship, which is a word that's used, but not necessarily pursued. I mean, you've both started your own projects or organisations or community interest companies. Why did you start them? And how's that experience been?
0: Obviously, I started Wear Hair Scotland out of the pure frustration of this existing within a predominantly white-led creative industry. Like I guess it's like no shade or anything to anything up here in the North East of Scotland, but regularly kind of turned turn up to events and, you know, seeing stuff that's kind of been organised, but the people that organised it didn't look like me on the wall spaces. The art wasn't anything that reflected me or my culture or like any other kind of POC kind of culture. So it's actually this sort of the pure frustration of why I kind of feel like I'm just fighting against this kind of system. That I've committed so much of my years of time doing podcasts and amplifying people. So do you know what? I'm just gonna kind of create a space then for me and people that look like me. I'm thinking mm-hmm. like that mental health way of just navigating all these kind of other small other microaggressions as well. But yeah, it's been a journey, I think, for me. It's been interesting. Like I definitely learn a lot from the other team members as well, who are part of like We're Here in Scotland, because their knowledge and skills over the years of working within like Scotland's creative industry is just like you know so valuable you can't just kind of be like oh yeah I'm the founder it's all about me it's not you know absolutely not it's about obviously the conversations like you have with other people in the community as well and it's connected with other people across Scotland and you know and I think that's definitely helped me in the sense of um, belonging and connection and
1: that connection is so important right I think I maybe started out in the creative industries like six seven years ago and You can feel like, okay, granted, I was in, I'm from, I grew up in Edinburgh, so Central Belt, but you can still feel like you're on an island. You just want other creatives, other artists, other creators that understand or share a similar experience to you or have your face, you know, to kind of band together and just have that support network. So Pass the Mic launched in October 2019 and then pandemic and so we hadn't met up and so we did a meetup for the first time and the space, that room, it was women of colour, it was, I, I couldn't get them to leave and that is a reflection of uh, want to be in this space. I started passing my out of frustration as well, yeah. like I don't know anything I haven't started that hasn't started from anger slash frustration, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it started because, so again this is about media representation and it's about underrepresentation of women of colour, for sure. But it's also misrepresentation of women of mm-hmm. colour. What stories get oxygen and how do they get oxygen? And and who's asked to speak about it and who's talking about us rather than us talking about ourselves and for ourselves. So I get contacted, again, in a privileged position, contacted by Media to do different things because I'm a commentator, but I get contacted out of laziness too. I get contacted because, oh, yeah, okay, so this is something that's got some race or sexism element to it, it's got some diversity element to it. Who are we going to call? Oh, I'll well, do, but then I'll get called about things like, so could you, we've got a story on BBC Scotland, could you come along and tell us your migration experience? Yeah. What is the level of laziness we're talking about, right? And then another one I got, you know, could you, um, oh, it's uh, the week of Diwali, it's like. I'm Muslim, and it's this, this is a brown face, so we'll ask that person. And I started to have a little Excel spreadsheet of brilliant women of color I know, and I would send them the details and I would say, "Here's the email address, here's the person get in touch. They're great. Most of the time they wouldn't bother contacting them because I would follow up and check. So I decided to make it public. So we created a website, we put this thing together. and the reason is is because if it's there and it's public, it's really hard for you to say you can find someone. I've taken away the lazy kind of, oh, but there wasn't someone available. There's over 200 women on that now. We're talking about environmentalists, caterers, teachers. um, I've got an astrophysicist there if you need it. Whoever, creatives, artists, that if you haven't managed to find somebody, you did something wrong. right? And it becomes quite public. I feel like women of colour need a space to talk about that intersection of racism and sexism and what that means for media misrepresentation. I mean, I suppose like a huge challenge has been the pandemic, but how has it been kind of establishing something that's so necessary and long overdue in this industry that didn't have it yet? It's been really interesting. So, what happens when something becomes public in traction is you get this little bit of momentum where everybody goes, Oh, we need a bit of this. But you've got to try and see through that a little bit because you've got to know when it's being used to placate some diversity tick box, right? So, and I'm going to be honest, I've I've experienced that. I made a mistake by pursuing some of those things and then learning, oh, that, that wasn't a genuine partnership. And during the pandemic, because there was so much commentary, rightly, about the disproportionate impact on communities of colour, higher death rates, um, higher, um, uh, higher levels of loss of income, loss of jobs and the consequences of, of that because you've got higher levels of Black, Asian um, communities, East Asian communities working in retail and hospitality. So there was loads of stories about that. So they jumped on the bandwagon of mic and were like, we need people, we need people. But I had to do quite a lot of work to talk about. Well, is that a safe place for women of color to participate? That's where the work shifted. My work shifted certainly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think like you know some of the things you just touching on just kind of just resonates. Is about actually how do you kind of obviously you know you know get like kind of email kind of requests as well and stuff like that. But. I think as well we don't even like in our team we like because everyone's got experience within the industry you have to put out feelers or be like do you know this person do you know we're doing that and like oh yeah they're cool they sound oh oh no way you know and stuff so you think that even if you're and stuff as well you don't want to kind of like for anyone in your community it's going to be like oh you gave me this opportunity and these people are actually toxic like you know this is actually really problematic you have to be so kind of mindful and you're right like careful about how do you actually kind of enter in these kind of collaborative working kind of relationships and who's actually benefiting
1: and that's like that decision-making role right I think that act of kind of like protecting and doing the research and doing that due diligence to make sure like if you are supporting people, that you're doing it in the right way. You're able to do it in the right way. And thinking about, like, supporting people, I think even the idea of being a decision-maker seems, like, very, like, what is that? Can I do that? Who is that? Am I one already? I don't know. How can we kind of support our creatives and people in the industry to become decision-makers? Or are they already?
0: I think it's, like, for me, it's, like, you can see it within some people, there are decision makers already, but they've not had that kind of opportunity or the confidence, especially I think for me and my kind of experience as well, not having that kind of opportunity, but obviously just learning from other people in the community about, oh yeah, I'm not really sure about this. And actually just being open to kind of like mm-hmm. that kind of advice as well. But also there's that bit of that that mentoring, that nurturing as well. Yeah. A lot of people are passionate beautiful kind of creative ideas. So I think those kind of things, I think it's definitely like the mentoring is such a very important kind of aspect in terms of actually developing that decision-making, aspirational kind of part for people who want to kind of do that within the kind of creative kind of sector. And it's actually kind of like learning about people's different kind of learning styles as well. Because I think for me, I'm not that kind of straight kind of thought actually this is how I learn I'm kind of like here there and everywhere <laughs> yeah so I think it's actually kind of working to like somebody's kind of actually kind of pace and kind of understanding and kind of getting on their level
1: the learning style things is completely correct like I was nodding away there yeah. because it's also about what do we mean by decision makers right because the if the learning style is different then the decision making style should be different I feel like in communities of color you're or with women of color they're less likely to see their decision makers even though they're Clearly, making decisions, they're less likely to want to call themselves experts, even though they are clearly experts in the arena. And it's because of what we've made experts. We've we've got this kind of societal view that it's something suited and booted and in charge mm. of an organisation with big boardroom meetings, and yeah. that's yeah. not how decisions are made or should be made. And whether it's you know the creative industries and the and like the funding pathways, right, or it's pol- political and policy decisions, I think. For more of us to be decision makers, we have to change how decisions are made and who by. We've got to get more local, we've got to get closer to communities, and then suddenly we'll find that we've got more decision makers because the decisions have come closer to them. Mm -hmm. Part of the issue is also the traditional decision makers are like 1% of people that are there, so it's only ever going to be a few of us. So that learning styles thing completely relates to the decision-making styles Mm -hmm. thing. And so if we can have more people involved in decision-making across the board, makes for better decisions and we'll see more of ourselves there. Yeah. You both kind of touched on it, but changing the language or changing the definition around the language, because like that idea of decision-making, you are just thinking of all these like white men in boardrooms, right? And actually, you are both decision makers, but that might not be what people think of when they, what they imagine when they think of decision makers. And it's about showing that and kind of platforming that as well, that you can have like this control and this autonomy of yeah. spaces. 100%. Should we be becoming decision makers in white-led industries or should we be creating our own spaces? felt that coming do you know my entire life I've come back to an Audre Lord quote which is dismantling the master's house with the master's tools and right. how it can't it can't happen and just read Audre Lord. that's there's one thing you take away from here and <laughs> Bill Hooks and everybody else because I asked myself that right mm-hmm. when you're close to a system that doesn't work for you should you just move away from the system but that system's in charge of so much and if I'm not participating in that Am I preventing opportunities and change making, waiting for some revolution to happen where it will finally change? If I'm honest, I think, and this is how I appease my own, like, this is this is yeah. a little bit of, I'm not sure if this is true or I'm just trying to make myself feel this better. This is just what you tell yourself. Right? This is 100% what I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. My weekly existential crisis is going, it's okay. But um, I think you need to keep a foot in both camps. So you've got to have a foot in the system, which is an accountability foot. Which is going, right, we're here, but this isn't working and you haven't done this right. And, but that's exhausting. But I think it needs to be there whilst it is making decisions about our lives, whether it's about our money, about our education, about whatever it might be. But then also keeping a foot in making your own spaces because those are nurturing spaces. And also because that's where the conversations that are happening here need to be translated into that space. Mm -hmm. And those spaces are usually more honest.
0: I was going to kind of say that as well, like kind of having that. On, on the fringes of that other side as well. But a lot of the emphasis for me is actually kind of creating as well for, for ourselves. It's that part of, right, I don't really want to work with you as a like whole, but I know I have to to some degree to kind of put everyone else on or give other people opportunities as well. So, I, I, you know, it's that kind of really strange kind of dynamic, you're right, it's so important to kind of create that space for ourselves and just keep going on doing what we're doing and connecting with each other. But also, there are people within the other side of things who are genuinely actually want to help in as well. And I guess like they're kind of suffocated within a structure or system and there's a big thing within that system as well, we um, touched on as well, is that class as well classes are very much a, a big thing within that kind of creative industries like I'm from a working class background and I'm very rare to see other people with working class backgrounds thrive within the kind of creative industries I think there's that kind of thing as well so, but I think yeah it's just that one of uh, you know with Tyler, I agree is actually having a foot in both camps but I'm kind of wary of keeping my foot too long and that other kind of slide for two you know as well you know so, like, I think like. The reason why, like you know, we started like we're here, Scotland, and kind of all the passion and energy behind it. I want to kind of remain and stay true to that as well. And I feel like if I go too much over on that kind of kind of side, then it this turns into it gets lost in the source or something, you know? Like
1: absolutely. And I think it's like the sad and slightly frustrating thing that you actually, for a lot of us, depending on what we do and how our creative careers, even even if they're not just creative, how our careers are you do need to keep a foot in that camp because that's probably the camp that pays you right yeah like you so you need to to be able to sustain what is happening here you need that and that is there's a huge problem that we have like in Scotland and in the UK about how do we properly like pay and support creatives and so they're not doing that unpaid labor yeah, I mean, do you know, the foot in the door of almost every industry, but particularly in the creative industries, particularly media, is unpaid internships still, or who you know, or the friend of somebody who's a friend, and that is only accessible to people who have also had university-educated upper-class parents who have the networks and the connections. Uh, that's exactly it. Like Passamica's got no money behind it. It managed to get a little bit of funding once, and I bled that dry for as long as I could, right? But I have it's, to. <laughs> you have to, right? Every single penny, it's like, okay, I can do something with this, I can do, you know? But yeah, it's where the pay is that keeps the other bit going. But that is a lack of recognition for how important that other bit is and how if you were to invest in that, it would change the face of the system. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the issue of does the system really want to change? So is it going to invest mm-hmm. in it, right? It's exhausting and I think Pay fair pay fair contracts access to investment could transform how we do things. But I think we're too far away from a lot of lip service, but yeah. not much else.
0: I think something yeah, you just touched on there about how like the system kind of almost kind of like reacts to kind of like seeing this kind of change in the horizon, but saying like, oh, like how do how are we going to handle this or do all this? In my kind of mind, for any kind of real fair and equal kind of change, like an equal footing for organizations like ourselves, what we're doing to be existing within the kind of creative industry, I think there's that kind of like probably internal fear from this kind of white-led whole structure system. What will change if, you know, like, I think it would be amazing. Like, you know, like you see so much kind of different things kind of happening. But I think like we're kind of put on that kind of bit of like, okay, you're cool. Here's a few pennies. I hope that keeps you happy.
1: Or we've set up a diversity committee.
0: Yeah. Do you want to be a part of it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've set up a diversity committee. So we don't need to invest in this. Yeah. We see that change is slowly being expected of us. So we're going to do something that doesn't ask too much of us. She's a diversity yeah. committee, right? But it is an issue of a feed of change and a feed of power being redistributed. That's
0: what's happening. I think the thing right. that as well. is like that fear of that, that loss, I think, of like, what am I going to lose then? But I kind of feel like, yeah, like what is there to lose? <laughs> you know, like I think I see it as like opportunity when you actually kind of make things fair and equal. There's actually more opportunity. There's more things that could be created and happening, like in Scotland.
1: Absolutely, and I think if you to to think of the Scottish like cultural and arts um, sector and in industry, there is this unnecessary and ridiculous fear about oh, well, if we give these people money, then what does this mean for Scottish culture? And what, and we're losing Scottish culture. And, but, and really what they need to ask themselves, what is Scottish culture and what Scottish culture, you know, can be? And actually that these are all part of it and mm. they have every reason to be here. Yes. We're still in a kind of either or space, but we know there's enough money for all of this to be, part of it. And you're right, it's that redefining of what Scottish culture is. And there's also, I mean, I don't, I am, I'm not from the arts and culture, like creative sector, I'd love to be. But there's another side of it being hyper commercialised. So it has to be something that is like almost mass interest, because then it generates money. And too much of what we do is still considered niche. As opposed to actually being the direction in which things are going and the direction which I think a lot of people, regardless of their race, are interested. But there's an idea that we what we produce will still be niche. And you see this from things like um what is kind of UK-wide invested in by particularly things like Film 4 and Channel 4, and how much they, as a huge entity, have to fight for the money for something that in- instead becomes a huge success, but originated as a niche like chewing gum for example right huge success but it was considered a niche when it started and what we're seeing are those spaces actually being closed down rather than being opened up yeah it's privatization
0: yeah 100 i think it's that bit of that fear of actually taking a risk as well and actually being like like you know you mentioned actually like somebody like oh this is a bit too niche i don't understand it and of course like you know if you don't understand you're not from the culture but you can understand it if you actually engage with, you know, the, you know, these, like, you know, individuals or, like, or these other kind of platforms as well. So I think it's just, like, that's the kind of big kind of, like, change that needs to kind of happen, actually people having, having as open and honest conversations. If they don't really get it, try and understand it, then sit down with those, play, those people and actually, like, okay, what's this all about and stuff as well? I think even, like, you know, there's, like, you know, chewing gum, Michaela Cole and look what she did of like, you know, I may destroy you. She killed it. And look at her now, like, she's in, like, in the code, like you see that as well. Um, a lot of, like, black and POC actors or performers end up going to the U.S. I'm not, I'm not saying the U.S. is the be-all and end-all of, like, equality and fairness, but they've found, like, a platform. So, you know, so you, like you people now, like, are taking that flight and going where they're appreciated and not where they're tolerated.
1: I'm intrigued. I live in Brussels as well, so I feel like I have... I've, I've been very lucky to be able to see it from as an outsider in a sense and as, and as a, an insider, a Scottish person. For us in Scotland, navigating that and thinking about going where we're accepted and celebrated, where is that? Is there a place for that in Scotland? Should we be going down south or should we just be going further afield or should like all come to Brussels and Belgium? <laughs>
0: You know, I think for me, I think it's just like I definitely recognize, like, on the past past few years, it's definitely been online. For me, you're finding a space or like my own little utopia of like black and POC arts and kind of creatives. But for me, it's been based in Aberdeen, northeast of Scotland. I realised like I have to be a part of that kind of change to be like, right, obviously we have like Rise Up, you know, as well. And that has to be a part of something that leads on to not just me, but other organisations, other people kind of creating spaces in the northeast of Scotland or like even further up, you know, further afield, like in the Highlands or the Shetland Islands as well. Because there are people that look like us scattered across Scotland. And there's, always, there's a point, there's that kind of feelings of conversations I've had with people online, but that, that kind of isolation. So, you know, I think for me, it's actually kind of like, you're not trying to say like, oh, I'm going to be the figurehead about it of like everything happening in the Northeast of Scotland. But I actually have to start something and it has to be from here. I have a place in Scotland as well to connect, but I think it's just like, it's just different in various locations. There's no one set kind of place. I'm from London. I see amazing things happening there, but I'm passionate about Scotland where I live. So I want to see things happening here as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to see talent leave Scotland to find places where they're, you know, celebrated, not just tolerated. That's an excellent line. Right. And that's but that's exactly the problem yeah. here. So I wouldn't want to see them leave. But I also understand why someone does. Right? I totally I understand because if you're looking for a break, if you're looking for a community where you're going to go somewhere else. But I think it comes right back around to the title of the panel. It's the shifting of decision making it's people who have space not being gatekeepers and ensuring that there's a ladder for other people to come up and like kind of nurturing that as well so i I wouldn't want to see the talent leave because it's only by being here and and pushing and and unapologetically like pushing at the door that then it becomes a space of celebration rather than than tolerance. And you know, over the next few years, we I think we're going to see well, we absolutely are going to see increases in in um, population and demographics of of communities of color, Black and communities of color. And so I think there, you know, we get to a certain point of there being a tipping point of this it becomes less niche. It becomes less because there's more of us. I would hope the talent being here is what prevents it from continuing to remain a niche or a thing that can exist with a few pennies given to it on the boundaries of the system. I felt like you were talking to me there like enticing. Why'd you leave? I absolutely love Scotland and it's always lovely to be back and it's home but to kind of answer your question it is a lot to do with the faces you see when you look around and when you walk out of your house and having lived in a very uh, predominantly white environment for over 20 years, I wanted to be around more black people. Yeah, which is totally understandable, totally. And that's that's a very legitimate position. I'm just (laughs) 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 like, how dare you? But it's just it's on Scotland to do more, to invest more. So there is that space where you think actually no, this is where my future could be, and that doesn't necessarily mean like if we were doing this right, they'd be equal numbers leaving as they were coming here. Absolutely, that's that's where you know whether there is a, there is nurturing of talent, so people can go internationally see what they they can find. But there's also be people going from other nations going hey, do you know what Scotland's a place where I, I my my talent can be enhanced and supported. That's what we've got to get back to. Oh, well, start not back to we yeah, never had just it. Just actually again. get. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is very hard coming back to those like diversity and inclusion schemes and those panels and all of that that don't work. We need to support all of our talent, especially our black and POC talent, no matter their class background. So they do want to stay in this country that is their home and continue.
0: Much of what we spoke about a year ago still remains. I'm under no illusion that things are never going to change quickly, but I'm disappointed when I revisit this conversation that I'm still living with a number of themes in real time. There were so many excellent points that were made during that conversation and for the purposes of reflection, I wanted to go through some highlights. There's a lot to be said about being your authentic self and Tarant talks about this as well as the flip side of it not being representative of everyone. So it remains important that we have more and more black and people of colour existing in decision-making spaces. And I also think Talat's point about genuine allyship particularly resonates. Many institutions, organisations and even individuals who are predominantly white, straight, male and able-bodied won't fully consider diversification. And we spoke about some of the things that should be done. There should be more listening and learning around communities. More want to speak up and advocate for the rights of marginalized communities. Time taken to educate not only about diverse communities, but also passing on expertise and mentoring. There's also a vital point about checking privilege and being aware of it, and as Talat says, being open to criticism. One of the biggest themes in this conversation was around power, the subject of power dynamics and redistribution. A commitment is required to addressing these systemic barriers and those dominating looking at ways to switch power levels. Reluctance to do so may be down to fear of the unknown, losing control, being excluded, and losing status or privilege. But it's important to recognise that all of this can maintain systemic inequalities and discrimination. It's more important to work towards equality, letting people thrive, and for the purpose of this podcast, for those in the creative industries. There's so much in this conversation that we could continue to break down, and in the future episodes we'll come back to some of these themes. But there's one final point I wanted to highlight and that's society's view of what a leader looks like. As Talit says, it's a stereotypical suited and booted. Leadership should not be limited to certain personality traits or physical characteristics. It should be the ability to inspire and empower to achieve common goals. Breaking down gender, racial and other biases is another. Supported people from diverse and representative backgrounds to take on leadership roles. There ideally should be a celebration of different leadership styles as they can be effective in different contexts. Promoting a culture of inclusivity and respect is crucial. Everyone should have the opportunity to lead and succeed. I'll leave you with a question though. How much work is being done in Scotland's creative industries to do these things? On the next episode of Rise Up Reflections, we look at how can the Northeast be more supportive of B-pop creatives. This podcast from we Here Scotland was presented by me, Ike Hedlum, produced, recorded and edited by Helena Refai, and is in partnership with and made possible thanks to Aberdeen Performing Arts.